Hello, welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention. Each month, I chat with a distinguished researcher or practitioner. And today we'll be talking in particular about the topic of injury surveillance. Our guest for this conversation is Yvette Holder. Yvette's had a long history in the area of injury data, data surveillance and the use of data for injury prevention. And we'll be talking with Yvette about her career and her insights into this important topic. Hello, Yvette Holder. How are you? I'm good, Rod. Hello, and hello to everyone who's listening. It's wonderful to have this opportunity to chat with you about a topic which has always been dear to my heart, but I'm not sure whether I quite understand it as well as you do. So it's great to have you on the line here to talk about it for us. Thank you. It's good to be here. Injury surveillance. What is that? It focuses really on data collection for intervention, for prevention. And for me, I am a statistician, so playing with data is my thing. But in terms of injury, it never occurred to me that injuries could be prevented. I had always grown up thinking like everybody else that injuries happen, accidents happen, until my director mentioned having worked with Susan Baker, and he opened a whole new world for me. I thought, this is wonderful. You can actually stop the injuries before they happen. But we need to know. We need to have the data. And for developing countries, that's a challenge because injuries aren't really sexy. So that people tend to just think, oh, the person is careless. They could have been better at doing whatever they were doing. Or it's God's will. That's why it happened. And trying to change that mindset from politicians down to the ordinary person in the street has been a challenge. So the best way to do that was with data. So data surveillance. So data surveillance. Now, not only does that answer the question, it it raises for me so many questions in the way you were just presenting that, that it'd be great to be able to unpack them a bit. Uh, And but, But a couple of things before we start. You talked about the light bulb going off when you chatted to Susan Baker. Now, that would have been quite some time ago. Can you give me a little yes. sense of how you've progressed as a, as, a, <laughs> as a person through your career? And then we'll look at some of the ideas that you've just raised there. Um, I, I actually come from the field of agricultural statistics. So health was new to me. Right. And, then, and I worked even in health. I worked mostly with communicable diseases because that's what the big health issue at the time in my region. Yes. But my director had a particular interest in injury, and although it's not an infectious condition, his enthusiasm was infectious. Right. And I got hooked in. Then he died suddenly from a chronic disease, not an injury. Mm -hmm. And there was no one else to carry on the work. And that's how I got involved. And I was able to combine both his injury prevention expertise that he had learned from Susan Baker with my skills in data collection and analysis. So let's start 
at what was my biggest surprise when you were talking, and that's that data itself, even before you get to information you can create from that data, is an active thing in your mind. It, it, you immediately, in fact, you started your discussion about data from the position of implementation or intervention or change. And, and then you went back into to understanding cause, not in terms of talking data, but, but quite clearly data was in your mind. You were trying to understand the shift from an inevitable uh, result of, uh, uh, well, perhaps a chance event or something you can't do something about, to an inevitable consequence of a set of causal elements, which the data allows you to unpack. Right. And then you moved into advocacy about how you use data to explain and to encourage, almost in a qualitative sense, uh, people to, to become engaged with this. So there's a really um, a complex set of um, understandings you, or relationship that you have with, with information and data that I'm going to pose here for you to unpack a bit whether that level of sophistication is, actually exists in the minds of most of us doing injury prevention when we just seem to be following a rule book doing what we have to do in a circumstance? Do we actually really understand data to that level of sophistication that we need to? I think you're right, we don't. We don't, and for me, that's the role of the epidemiologist to bring other health workers, first of all, because surprisingly, a lot of them aren't on board with data, the use of data for intervention. So bring the rest of the health sector on board, bring the politicians on board, because this has been one of the biggest challenges in injury prevention. Politicians, they react when something creates a lot of noise, but they don't sit and analyze and determine what are the real problems, what are the gravest problems, and how do we deal with them. And for me, that's what the injury epidemiologist, especially person in surveillance, has to do. Supply the politician with the data to convince him that one, this is a real problem. Two, it impacts negatively on his budget, his electorate, etc. And three, that you have the means, you as an epidemiologist have the, have the means to provide him with possible solutions. Unfortunately, politicians want quick fixes. Mm. And yeah. so trying to convince them that they have to invest resources to deal with this problem that will pay off eventually is challenging. Surprisingly, what we found though was that insurance companies, for example, mm came on board much more quickly because they tend to see immediate returns on their investment. Right. The general public, once the data is presented to them in a very practical way and the interventions are simple that they can follow, you have to involve the general public to make the intervention effective. An intervention can't be imposed. Right. But we can use the data to determine which intervention, at least that's the specialty, I think, using the data to determine which intervention is appropriate. And sometimes the interventions have to be tweaked for the different sectors of the population that have been identified as at risk for particular types of 
of injuries. And that leads me into another challenge that we had with data. Initially, when we started, we were just looking at injuries. Every sector has its own surveillance, not the two, but at least some data collection system. Mm-hmm. So transport took care of the collisions and, and the injuries. Occupational health and safety would be with labor. And then you just have this general catch-all. The police dealt with intentional injuries and homicides. And they would own their data. So that it was very difficult to get a comprehensive view of, of injuries. Not only that, the quality of the data is so very variable. Right. So, because each sector would be looking at particular data elements that were relevant to them. And many of them weren't really looking at interventions. They were just measuring mm-hmm. how many incidents, how many falls from, from ladders, etc. Mm-hmm. So that as an injury epidemiologist, how do we get this data into a comprehensive set so that in the first place we can prioritize? Because I come back to the problem of limited resources. So that the next step would be to look at an all-inclusive surveillance system that captures data on all injuries. But only one sector can do that, and that's health. Right. Injury is grave gravely morbid or mortal. Mm-hmm. So that raises more issues again. If we go with the fatal injuries, by law, all deaths are enumerated. But injuries present a, a particular situation in that every unnatural death by law needs to be investigated. And that means the legal system gets involved, autopsies have to be done, a coroner may sit with postmortems. Particularly for assaults and suicides, homicides and suicides, the delay, again because of limited resources, can be at one time was as much as three or four years for an autopsy to be completed so that we could never get a complete number of deaths. But apart from the delays in the data collection, we also had issues with the documentation of the data so that the pathologist never signed an intent to the death. They would simply list all of the injuries Mm. that they saw, but we don't know what caused the injuries? I mean, a concussion, a concussion could come from a fall at work. It could come from an assault, blunt trauma assault. It could be accidental. We didn't know. So even though we, had, we could get numbers, the information that we needed to intervene, we still didn't have. So how do we get everyone to report on a core set of data elements that would be useful for intervention. So you've reminded us that uh, surveillance requires comprehensive data, um, accurate data. It has to be useful data. Yes. 
and that most of that depends upon, I think you were saying, that communication across the different agencies, because injury being multifaceted in its presentations. Um, yeah. And that resources need to be recognised as uh, a, an important facilitator of that surveillance system. And that those resources are sometimes not there because it's an expensive front end to something for which the apparently the return on that investment might be some years down the track. Except okay. for, and I'm just sort of reflective listening here a little bit because you've, you've provided a, such a, a wonderfully rich picture. There are a couple of things you said which seem to produce some quick turnarounds. And, and that was your work with some of the industries that were able to see your data in, in a very explicit way. They were able to see that if they did A, they got a, a return B from the system. And your data being uh, as... Um, delicate in some places as it has been, you've been able to show them that very specific return. Yes. And your final thing I think you've just said in there, which is, is really nice, is that it's not just a general sense of injury. You can be quite specific. You can talk about burns. You can talk about falls. You can talk about the differences between those and the different environments and context and interventions that are necessary for those two types of things. Mm-hmm. All of this requires us to be as is our earlier conclusion that we need to be quite sophisticated now somebody out there needs to understand their data data really well to be able to produce this wonderful result from the use of it uh, moving forward uh, do you have a couple of um, where do we need to go from here type recommendations for the field uh, yes and I think we've already started in that regard even seminars to introduce young epidemiologists into the field. WHO has produced guidelines on what data to collect, how to collect data in the different sectors. They've established minimum data elements. We've devised a classification scheme that can be simple as applied to a small rural community or as complicated as being used in a specialist tertiary institution. There have been guidelines for community surveys for persons who may want to collect data in their area. So there there are tools available for anyone who wants to and is interested in collecting. Yeah. Injury data is a more capable um, resource that we have than we're actually making the best use of. And you're right. And there's some of the sources that are very unusual and surprising. One example was newspaper. One country actually used the newspaper reports as the basis of their surveillance system. It turned out it was the most complete source of injury So I think you do have to think outside of the box and think about what's relevant in your situation. But we can learn from each other. We can learn from each other. And as you say, there's a lot of, the guidelines are there, aren't they, for those of us that want to start on this? Mm-hmm. And uh, with all of the benefits that you've described there of the data once we have it, 
that's a good incentive, a good encouragement for us all to think again about what we are collecting and what we could collect if we made our surveillance systems a bit more complete and how best to use the information once it's there. Yes. Have you any final uh, word on the topic? It sounds to me like there won't be a final word on this particular topic. I think you just said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been wonderful talking to you, Yvette, as always. I've been um, uh, crossing paths with you for many years now and uh, your wealth of experience is incredibly valuable to the field. So thank you very much. Very welcome and thank you for having me, Rod. We've been listening to Yvette Holder discuss the important issues currently facing us globally in the area of injury surveillance. Remember, you can subscribe to the Injury Prevention Podcasts in your favourite platform or app and have it automatically downloaded to your device each month. For those of you particularly interested in injury prevention or injury surveillance, I'd encourage you to go to the Injury Prevention Journal website on injuryprevention.bmj.com.